0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Failure Peace Theater, your movie podcast for the near-misses and cinematic disasters of Hollywood and beyond. This week, we revisit the Netflix shrug shoulders, it's on Netflix pile, <laughs> and look at Things Heard and Seen, a very recent release uh, well, starring Amanda Seyfried, uh, among other luminaries like F. Murray Abraham and Karen Allen. Okay, <laughs> um, and uh, directed by the people who did American Splendor, but this time they are chasing that uh, haunting at Hill House money. They're looking for a little bit of that, a little bit of that Netflix woman in a spooky house money, and uh, and they they've come for that. And
1: uh, uh, does it work? Mm.
2: I don't know.
0: Mm. We'll find out. Um, but as always, joining me is
1: Catherine.
0: My sister, I am your amiable co-host Tim, and we are here to break down this this very intriguing Netflix entry. Um, don't know how well it's done. I know it cracked the top ten for a couple of days, which is is really one of the only sort of like Netflix. I think success that's the only we reason
1: I saw it is it it managed to break through my very very long queue and and recommended list. That's just mostly things that I I meaning to watch <laughs> that I haven't watched right. yet. Yeah, and uh these have
0: literally been on there for years. Yeah,
1: you know, fine. years and years. They disappear, they come back, and I'm like, oh it's back. I should watch it tomorrow, maybe. Yeah, not tonight, um, instead I'm gonna watch this movie. Uh so yeah, I watched it and I I love that Netflix is doing horror or what sure he thinks yeah. is horror.
0: Yes, and, and sh- what the algorithm you know what? has dictated horror should be.
1: And you know what? It might be or I don't know. For somebody it is.
0: Yeah, I, I could see a particular sort of audience member genuinely finding this, at the very least, unsettling, right? There are certainly some unsettling moments, Um, but I don't know if I'd go much further than that. Um, Quite frankly, you know, before we get too hard, far into it, I was pretty bored through a lot of this. Uh, Not because it was bad or ineptly put together, but because a lot of the second act of this film is just basically repeated ideas over and over again. Like, hey, that guy's kind of crap and this woman's really upset and you're just going to get that for about the next 35 minutes. Uh, And not ineptly so, but not necessarily enough to, to really keep me engaged.
1: I guess that's the the sneaky thing about these these Netflix movies is they're not incompetently made. Um, no. Originally, the the Netflix pool used to be full of you know I've I have mentioned them on this podcast before the fake movies, the movies that are not even Hallmark quality bad. Um,
2: right.
1: Yes, that you know we thought that they didn't go anywhere when you clicked on them, but this this is insidious because this is actually pretty well made on the outside. But it, mm-hmm. it contains nothing. It's it's the cinematic equivalent of meringue.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh very voluminous, uh very tall, but once you dig in you find it's mostly air. Um and and we'll we'll certainly get into the discussion of that. So I guess let's talk a bit about I mean horror preferences in general. You know horror I've found is is really the flip side of comedy. And horror and comedy are extremely subjective. It depends so much on your person and and the particular proclivities of your personality to determine if something is going to make you laugh or make you scream. And, you know, I guess for me, if I want to start here, you know, the horror that works for me is, is the stuff that I really saw when I was younger and, and I've brought with me into my adult sort of movie watching life. So, I mean, the alien series is, sort of like my perfect blend of, of horror and then whatever other genre you want to throw at it. You know, obviously the original aliens, the the haunted house in space, the second one is the horror action. The third one is, is sort of back to the the sort of single location horror of the original, but with a lot more gore and, and, you know, sort of like body horror thrown in Uh alien four is just weird but but like alien is kind of like that's that's when i want to watch something horrific that's usually one of my go-tos um the halloween series um really just one in three i for the most part and for, then some of the re- the remakes are okay but for
1: me i can just point to any movie that uh john carpenter has ever made
0: sure. um yes. that's
1: yeah. like that's Things my brand of horror too. that's mm-hmm. what i want you know anything anything that he's put his name on um even even later stuff i i think it's it's all pretty great um but you know if if i'm talking in terms of things that actually scare me to the point where i'm sort of made uncomfortable by them um i mean that's like hellraiser right
2: that's yeah, the Clive, stuff that's Clive just Barker's too much on another level, what are you yeah.
1: doing Stop terrifying me, you wonderful old um, man! Yeah, um, I mean, you know,
0: he's he's certainly an acquired taste, but yes, yeah. Hellraiser is certainly it. It go, it toes right up to that line of just wince, you know, sort of like the what hostile and the later hostile sequels just cross right over into just I, I don't want to watch this; it's just too much. Yeah, uh, saw <laughs> a little bit if it wasn't so ridiculous. Um, saw was such a funny
1: movie that I didn't.
0: <laughs> the, well the original saw I think was fine the the later saw like all of the saw sequels just they they vacillate so soundly between like oh this is a goofy thing to oh that man's been sawn in half by a, <laughs> the a razor bones blade machine? propelled by a car you know it's just like okay I don't remember which um, saw that
1: was in if it was the second or the third I I kind of tapped um, out but twisty bones oh I was, yeah
0: yeah that, that was, was that's uh, a no
1: from me dog I'm out <laughs> I think that
0: was three I think because three is where the series really went off the rail two was like sort of okay but three things just went. Absolutely. That's where all the time looping stuff started, where it was like, aha, you thought that this was taking place after the last movie, but it was happening at the same time. You know, like all that (laughs)
2: stuff.
0: And and then like every sequel after that was like, oh, this is a 15 minute window in between when that guy was going to the bathroom and this other person. It's like, okay, we're we're finished here. You guys, you need to stop it. (laughs) Go ahead.
1: I I guess. I guess the reason that, you know, movies like that come up and, like, you know, your taste in horror being so subjective is... I really like some aspects of this new Netflix horror era that we've entered, but then there are some things about it that I don't like. I don't think it pushes the envelope as much as it could... And and I think I Mm -hmm. think specifically, you know, we we talked about this a little bit before we got started. I feel like the subtitle of this movie should be we're coming for you, Mike Flanagan, because, like, that's clearly what (laughs) they're doing.
2: (laughs)
0: We want a piece of that pie. Yeah, we Um, could do it, too. (laughs) Horror anchored in in family drama. Right. Which it always has been like I got a. There were a few moments in this when I got a real like poltergeist poltergeist, uh, you you know,
1: um, Amityville had its its moments, you know,
0: that I guess modern would be, you know, like the conjuring, at least sure, the first one, the second one's sure. pretty ineffective, insidious,
1: but, you know, any of those James. Yeah.
0: Bond. Yeah. I mean, so, and if you look at the history of, of, you know, ghost fiction at the center of it, it often are these sort of familial relationships um, because ghosts and ghost fiction from its, it's, well, really Throughout the history of people, you know, communing and interacting with spirits, it's often about something being lost or broken, right? Like, you know, when Odysseus goes down into the, the cave to get to Hades and he, you know, sacrifices the sheep and the spirits start coming up, you know, it's, it's not, it's horrific, but it's also about him connecting with all of these people from the past that he's lost, you know, sort of culminating in his parents because he didn't even know they were dead And, and it's, it's, I think that, you know, from a a mythological standpoint or a mythocultural standpoint, ghosts have always been about that, about sort of understanding and contextualizing the hurts and anguish of modern life with, you know, the past.
1: And the questions of beyond what, what is beyond all of this. And that always has an interpersonal bent to it because, you know, we want to know what happens to us. We want to know what happens to the people we love. Yeah, I mean, ghosts, it's easy horror, which is why it's so, so nice when it's done well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and you know, I, I think uh, Haunting of Hill House, I'll, I'll be honest, I haven't watched *Blind Manor yet. Um, we're still kind of just waiting it's, for it's summertime. Good. It's not,
1: and, It's not Hill House, but it's good.
0: And, and then that's kind of what I'd heard. But I, I still want to engage with it because I'm, I'm sure that's uh, Flanagan and co. do a great job with retelling that, that very classic story. But this is sort of, I guess, I keep ref- I keep thinking of it in my head as literary horror. Like that's what somebody tried to do here, um, and I it, imagine the book it was based on. That's exactly what it sounds like. It feels based on everything I read.
1: It feels like it was coming a bit for gothic horror, which it which in this this movie's defense, I haven't read the book. Um, but in this movie's defense, again, you know, I, I kind of leaned on the Mike Flanagan thing. He is turning pretty classic gothic horror novels into these series for netflix mm-hmm. and a characteristic of of gothic horror is that it is not especially horrific um yeah it's about it, atmosphere it doesn't have a lot of monster closets it certainly doesn't have any twisty bone machines and it it really doesn't even have that much blood or 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 death even it's just not no. it's not that way Mm-hmm. Um, it's more about hidden stuff, things you can't see bumps in the night. I mean, you know, you go and read Jane Eyre, you know, you'll get a vibe of what I'm saying or like exactly. Uncle Silas or something like that. Wuthering Heights, Wuthering heights you know, there, and there's, there's nothing horrific about those stories, but they contain these sort of, you know,
0: there's a lady, in the attic.
1: yeah, there's a, there's a <laughs> ghost somewhere and, and definitely right. Bly Manor because it was based on *The Turn of the Screw*. That was the one yeah. that I think was the most gothic. And if you, I mean, if you like *The Turn of the Screw*, then you're probably going to be pleased with that series. Um, mm-hmm. But this, this felt like it was going for gothic horror, but I don't know that the source material provided it with the right, uh, plot or or. Or characters or, or like <laughs> yeah. any of the things.
0: <laughs> so, I mean,
1: so all I have is a vibe.
0: <laughs> it's it's hard to pull gothic horror out of an old farmhouse. Mm. You know, it it just kind of is. Um, and and this movie really wants that farmhouse to feel ancient and old and and rooted in history, but it it doesn't feel that way um it, it feels like a farmhouse and there's nothing especially spooky about it um either in the the depths of the night when these things are happening or or in the brightest of daylight it's it's a farm and um and that's not an insult to farms it's more an insult to the fact that if you if you want to get that gothic vibe you know you you need to move away from the very sort of uh, well, they're going for the Hudson Valley thing. Like that's what they're, they want. And that's where the story was set. So I I have no problems with that. I guess let's, let's go ahead and just kind of lay out the basic plot structure so that we can kind of hit on some of these elements. But so things heard and seen is about a young couple. It's set uh, 1979 into 1980. It's about a year period, eight to 10 months or so. And um, it's about a young couple. They met as art students. Uh, they graduated their you know, bachelor's degree programs. The husband went on to a master's degree program at Columbia. Um, the uh, wife has become an art restorer and, and seemingly happy in that job. They have a young daughter together and things appear to be going very well, but uh, maybe the doctor, the the thesis program, the doctorate program, whatever it, did, it was that he completed, maybe it's not going so great or it didn't go as great as he hoped. So he kind of gets a, a kind of crap teaching position at a small college in upstate New York in the Hudson river Valley. And rather than, you know, work out something to where his wife can continue to have her job. He just moves the whole family to this tiny farmhouse and, and, and in, in literally the middle of nowhere. And, and so we get a, a very typical, you know, sort of, I guess, I I guess maybe it's not typical. It felt typical to me of, you know, the, the wife is isolated. She's alone. She has nothing. She has no one. She's just in this house by herself. The husband's running off to go to his job and do other things. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, their relationship begins to fracture while this is happening. The wife, since she's at the house all the day uh, or all day long, she begins having supernatural experiences, hearing things, seeing things, things heard and seen if you will. And she's attempting to understand where those are coming from. And and one thing that the film, you know, tries to plant a flag in and apparently the book did this as well, is that maybe not all hauntings are bad. Right. Like it really wants to, to have that idea. So really what this is, in in my opinion, this is a a literary relationship drama. This, this is this marriage story, right? Like this is mm-hmm. just two people arguing because their lives are kind of Kind of shit and and then there just happened to be some like weird supernatural happenings on, on the outer edges of that and 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 if anything that's my biggest issue with this movie is that a lot of these disparate pieces just don't feel well integrated with each other um all of these elements feel very isolated and that could be intentional because the characters are all isolated like they all feel alone which is certainly the problem but at the same time it doesn't really work to to build a compelling narrative because everything feels disjointed and just sort of slung together rather than sort of tightly constructed, at least for me. So this film is is evoking not only the, it, it opens on a bunch of George Ennis paintings, right? He was a very famous painter of this region of the world. It, it delves into one of his inspirations, who was, uh, was it Sveterborg?
1: Uh, Svedenborg.
0: Swedenborg, thank you, Um, who was himself an artist and philosopher, um, believed that he could talk to spirits, that he could travel back and forth to heaven and hell and have conversations with demons and angels, um, and and believed that he had been compelled by Christ to write the the one true doctrine of Christianity. So, you know, totally totally normal stuff. Absolutely cool. And, um, but you know, his, his, his writing was extremely evocative. A lot of painters latched onto it and, and in his, you know, had some very famous works that were based on, on descriptions of things like heaven and hell. And so that's in here too. So this movie is, is trying in my opinion, to be extremely adroit and very literary it wants to, f- and, and it feels like it's reaching for that, right? It wants to be very sort of stayed and even keeled and just sort of run its its natural course, but then things just kind of go off the rails, uh especially in the third act so um I, I did you have anything else you wanted to to add about the the overall plot? I mean that's just the basic ideas this movie seems to be playing with
1: um I didn't like any of these people i just i'm I'm just always instantly suspicious of a movie where I don't like anybody. <laughs>
0: Yeah, there's there's really not many. Pe- there's nobody in this movie to root for. I, I think the movie wants you to root for Amanda Seyfried, but
1: I don't. I just yeah, it, it's and it's not because I dislike her. I mean, necessarily, it just there's nothing there. Um, I don't have much to to root for, uh, and of course the George, the husband. Uh, is just really unlikable. I mean, they go out of their way <laughs> to make him as unlikable as possible. <laughs> From um, moment one, yes. Which, which is interesting because I, I sort of wish that they had stayed with just him being really, really unlikable rather than where they did go with it.
0: Um, uh, yes, which if you want a little little window into that, uh, if you've ever seen the film The Talented Mr. Ripley,
1: wow, um, that's yeah. where this goes. Yeah,
0: uh, And I was not expecting it. And I don't,
1: um, I don't, I didn't hate the plot twist, but I definitely hated the way that it came out in that yeah. character. Yeah, it, it feels,
0: and, and I have issues with how they eventually interact or or have that character interact with some of the, the ghost ideas in the house. Yes. Um, because for him, it, it almost feels like it's, it's a, excuse for for some of his behavior like it it justifies it because oh he was under the influence or whatever so um so we're gonna dig in here Uh, again this film was directed and written by the the husband and wife directing team that wrote american splendor
1: which surprised uh, me
0: which is a a a very good film uh one of the early sort of paul giamatti like defining performances um which of course is about harvey picar who was a, a Very influential independent comic book artist. Uh, That is also why you will see James Urbaniak in this movie, which was uh, surprising. I recognized him by voice than I did by face, uh, because if you don't know, James Urbaniak is the voice of Thaddeus Venture, uh, (laughs) professor from the Venture Brothers, one of my favorite cartoons. Um, so he's in here, uh, playing a, a small role, but it's, it's always nice to see him. Uh, and I, I guess, again, as we mentioned before, this, this does have a really good cast. I don't know. As far as like, should you watch it? Uh, you know, if you, if you are interested in watching this before you listen to us, you know, deconstruct it a bit, it's, it's definitely like a shrug your shoulders, Netflix release for me. It's not terrible. I, I certainly could see people getting into this. Uh, but at the same time, I, I really don't know. If if it's something that most people will like, and based on the the Rotten Tomatoes scores, which I did pull, uh, most people are not enjoying it uh, at all. The <laughs> critical response it's uh, below forty percent now. It fell pretty rapidly after some initial positive buzz, and the audience score is only twenty four percent. Oh, <laughs> um, which you know. Mm. Oh, but what really shocked me is that there are only two hundred and fifty ratings. Oh. Um, which this film's been out on Netflix for about two weeks, a little bit more, uh, and and only if only 250 people have taken time out of their day to go to Rotten Tomatoes and give it a score, that's a little surprising given the the volume of people that have probably watched this. Which may speak vol- which may actually speak to what people are really going to do with this movie. They're going to watch it and they're going to immediately forget about its existence.
1: <laughs> um, I I admit I forgot that I watched this movie. I, I we had a, an awkward moment uh, chatting about this, and I was like, oh, "What movie were were we doing again?" And I had yeah. already watched the movie, and the movie was my idea. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's well, not surprising. It <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, and and Amanda Seyfried has done quite a bit of of this, sort of this low key horror in the last year. Or so she did another uh, another movie that we're we've talked about you know, doing before with uh, Kevin Bacon Uh, again, another one of those, I I mean, are all, are all books and movies now just going to be named, uh, you know, like noun adjective and verb. Like, is that what all of them are? Yes. Cuz it feels like all like every literary novel that gets attention now is basically the ti- the title is just stuff people said and did. And and it I, it's inspired me. I want to write my own literary book that, that where the title simply is stuff, stuff that people said and did.
1: Said and did.
0: <laughs> just because what what is this what does things heard and seen mean, right? That's well, everything. Everything a movie, is a thing that is heard and seen. You will see unless things unless you are blind and deaf.
1: And you will hear things. I mean, I know together. it's it's
0: like supposed to be like ghosts, the things hearing. And I I know, but it's just so vague. And I know it's it, at some point somebody said like, oh, this is evocative, right? <laughs> things heard and seen, but it's just so frustrating. Like you know, and and, and I realize that some of my favorites, I mean, like Dune. Right. Like, what does that mean? Right. I mean, you see the sand and you get it, but I mean, like, that's good evocative to me. Like, that's good open-ended. Um Whereas as this is just what, why, why, why would you, you know, bird tree and clown, you know, it just. What? <laughs> so I, I I'm not down with this current literary titling <laughs> thing that's because it feels like literary novels realize that nobody's actually buying our books. We're winning all kinds of awards. Right? We're getting all kinds of attention from like the critical response. But then when they sit in, in Barnes and Noble in stacks of five on the shelf and no one ever touches them, because it's like, you know, such and such is marvelous adventure in Dreamland or whatever the hell the title was. They go like, well, we need something more vague. We need something that just is, is enough to get somebody in the door to, to pick you up. And it, it just, I don't know, it feels very marketing. It feels like a, a marketing person sitting down and titling a book, which uh, is never going to turn out well. And this feels like a marketing person at Netflix titled this movie, aside from the fact that all things cease to appear, which, again, is still kind of vague and weird, is way better as a title uh, than things heard and seen. Uh, which is the the original title for the book that this was based on. So this film is is had a terrible critical reaction. It, it has certainly fallen out of the top ten on Netflix very quickly, and um, I doubt it will be back. So let's let, let's dig in. Uh, so full spoilers from here on out. If you're interested in checking out things heard and seen, it is streaming right now on Netflix. Easy peasy. Just go load her right up, and uh, you can. Uh, enjoy this this look at a destroyed marriage through the lens of ghost stuff uh but
1: ghost stuff <laughs> ghost things, stuff things heard about ghosts and stuff yes ghosts
0: and stuff um so let's let's break this thing down so it, it opens uh as you said at the end uh, or or sort of towards the end of things um with the the husband coming home Blood is dripping from the floorboards, you know, as it does. Uh, He seems shocked and horrified. He goes inside the daughter, uh, his kid is is awake in the house alone, and uh, he grabs her and then runs across a field to a neighbor's house. Um, And we don't really know what's going on. Gone on. That's the mystery, right? The who done it that we're going to now solve. And it, then it rolls back a year, and we get our first window into the lives of these uh, this married couple uh, in New York in the, the late summer uh, at a, a birthday party. And so the first impressions of all these these people are pretty negative, right? So Amanda Seyfried is uh, harried; she's uncomfortable. She eats a bit of cake and then immediately runs to the bathroom to throw up. So we're, we're immediately told that she is uh, bulimic and and possibly anorexic. And the the husband is like, he has all this swagger about completing his thesis project, but then he's kind of being made fun of by his parents because he couldn't find work and he went to Columbia. Which, which is
1: just, uh, who Everything's are uncomfortable. These people? Everything's I awful. Mean, I yeah. I just have a hard time connecting with those problems and f- people who have those problems. Like I went to such a good university, I can't find a <laughs> I can't find an Ivy League professor job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh wow, you
2: Welcome know I I think.
1: I think maybe there were some people suffering a bit more in 1980 that we could have talked about instead of these very white people.
0: <laughs> the wisest of people. <laughs> just, um, just
1: very white and with very white problems. And, so
0: the central conflict is set up pretty quickly. Uh, the marriage itself appears okay. Although there is like this latent tension between the, the, the two leads. Uh, so we have, uh Catherine and George. Catherine and George Claire. Um Which, so Catherine's I mean, played by Amanda Seyfried. Guess we need to point that out. Go ahead. Yeah.
1: Well, no, I just they don't have any chemistry at all. No. No. I mean, when we talk about relationship, we're we're talking about the, the most perfunctory of of on-screen chemistry here. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Seyfried's character indicates later, you know, Catherine indicates later that she, she comes from a religious family, a Catholic family, and she got pregnant and, and basically did the right thing in getting married and, and sort of having the child. Uh, she seems marginally regretful about that at the, at the point that she's discussing this with another character in the film. Um, Cause you know, obviously it's pushed your life in a very different direction, but the, the crux of it is that, uh, the husband, George, he's completed his thesis and he's trying to find work and he, the only work that he can find is at a a very small college upstate, uh, in the Hudson river Valley. Uh, was it Solwell? I, I don't, I don't even remember. It doesn't matter. Um, but he finds it at, at this small university, uh, and they get his, he gets their attention mostly because he writes about this, uh, as um, as part of his thesis, uh, talking about George Ennis and Thomas Cole and some of the other, you know, sort of pastoral landscape painters of the early Americans, early Americas. And, um, but he doesn't really seem to like them or know much about them, <laughs> which is a big red flag almost immediately. And and so he gets this job and he moves his family up to this remote farmhouse pretty much without having any sort of recourse for, you know, what is his, his wife going to do, who's also educated, also very good at what she's doing, which is art restoring. And now she's just, you know, ter- been turned into a farmhouse wife, which is certainly not what she was, you know, expecting. So the the relationship is already sort of tense and it begins to immediately fracture, uh, which One of the very first nights they're in the house, they're, you know, getting busy or trying to, and uh, they get interrupted by their young daughter. Who's just had one of her first, you know, sort of ghost experiences. The author, uh, Elizabeth Brundage mentioned that, you know, she had a, a similar experience of staying in one of these sort of old Hudson River Valley farmhouses and that her children started, you know, seeing things, having conversations with nothing, that kind of stuff and and so a lot of that is infused in the book uh, honestly i can't tell you the daughter's name yeah i know nothing about her she appears in the film the only thing she does is stare at things yeah um and and then mm-hmm. potentially say a cryptic thing now and then that's it um
1: no character no
0: <laughs> no she's not a character like there is is nothing about her that is a character she has a couple of interactions. Uh, the, the side characters in this uh, in many ways are more interesting than the core family pretty easily. Um, so it, at his college job uh, George begins running into a, a lot of different people his department chair played by F Murray Abraham uh, who you know adores his wife when they meet a little bit later in the film and they and we find out that he is a devout followers Federborg as well and believes in the sort of spiritual connections that's Federborg talked about and and you know holds séances and and all this you know crazy stuff but he's very good um he also has an adjunct teacher in the department who teaches weaving right? like basket I guess like basket weaving and stuff um and they kind of you know have a a good relationship at first and then she you know Also, kind of falls in love with the wife. Basically, like everybody thinks Catherine is awesome except George. Like, George is the only person that doesn't see Catherine as like
1: desirable
0: and funny and intelligent.
1: Frankly, the the film sets it up that the only reason he doesn't think that is that she won't have sex with him.
0: I guess. And she won't drink her protein shakes.
1: She just just won't. (laughs) She needs those to have sex so she can be strong. (laughs)
0: Because she's very thin. (laughs) <laughs> uh, even though Amanda Seyfried does not look especially thin in this I mean, she movie, looks,
1: she looks normal to me. But more so know.
0: than what she normally looks. So, and, and there are all these undercurrents, right? This film is like plot thread the game. It's just we're going to set up all these things, and if they pay off, great. If not, it's fine. Uh, like for example, we are introduced very early on to two strange boys. Who are just sort of observing the family as they move into their new farmhouse and kind of giving each other odd looks, like, hey, what's going on here? They eventually introduce themselves and and become kind of handymen for the family. They they say we know the property, we can mow for you, we can fix things around the house, blah, blah, blah. And they're blah. just so they,
1: weird. They're just they're just weird.
0: It's it's a very strange thing. And and we find out they have a history with the house a little bit later in the movie but
1: but they're being weird about it.
0: It's very weird about it. They
1: don't know why. <laughs> like yeah, why they, are they acting this way?
0: And so it's it's set up that those those kids are basically are the children of the previous owners of the house who died in mysterious under mysterious circumstances or quote unquote mysterious circumstances. Everybody seems to know exactly what happened, but nobody wants to actually say. That that's what happened. Like, it's, it's, I guess that's sort of small town life ish, right? Sort like everybody of. Everybody knows, but nobody wants to be like the one who knows. I don't
1: know. I don't know. I've, we lived in a small town. You still live in a small town.
0: I do live in You right.
1: feel, I mean, you have to, there's always somebody who wants to tell the story.
0: Always. Yes. And in this one, it's Karen Allen. It's, yeah. It's Marion Ravenwood.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, And,
0: and she's married to, uh, Laurie Metcalf's husband on Roseanne in the first three seasons, uh, which is great. It's a, yeah. This is very weird. So these, these two kids and that plot thread doesn't really go anywhere. Like at all. And there's no real resolution to it. I think the last scene of that kid in the movie is, is him kind of yelling at the cop saying, you know what happened and storming off. And, and it's like, well, was he important? Did we need to see what happened to him or is everything just okay now? Like what, what is this? So they get introduced. um, There are a variety of, you know, interesting characters around the town that she eventually interacts with, uh, et cetera. And then of course, some, some family members dipping their way in and out. But things almost immediately start going wrong at the house, right? Lights are turning on and off, strange events, strange sounds. And The movie does the very typical thing where we're supposed to, since we're so sort of firmly rooted in Catherine's perspective, we're supposed to sort of think, well, maybe she's just hallucinating everything for about five minutes. And then we see a bunch of sparkly, glowy lights dance their way across a windowsill to a ring that is embedded in the windowsill in like a really weird way. And I was like, oh, okay, so we're not going to do that. We're not going to have the movie play with the idea, you know, is she releasing things? Is it really ghosts? No, it's it's ghosts. It's definitely ghosts. Ghosts who can project themselves in golden light and just kind of walk around. I mean, this movie, if if anyone saw any of the things that happen in this movie, I mean, like Zach Baggins from like Ghost Adventures would be on the phone immediately. Like, oh, we got him. Right. We just gotta bring a camera in here. Yeah. I mean, like, there's an extended seance scene later in the film where a tablecloth circles above them and has like a fight.
1: And everyone is just at peace with it.
0: For ten minutes. And and they're all just like, Oh, wow, what a great was, seance, guys. Good job. That was
1: crazy. Wow. <laughs>
0: like, like, no, that's that's proven existence of the afterlife, right? Like you have just demonstrated physically
1: Why are you not more upset about
0: this? (laughs) This is true. Uh, And I was just sitting there and be like, wouldn't you call like the cops or uh, wouldn't you call someone and be like, you guys, Gotta come check out this house. There's a ghost well, here that'll be dance around. The
1: Ghostbusters did not come out yet. So they That's didn't know true. who to call.
0: They didn't know who to call. They, they just uh, didn't have that in the book. Oh,
1: thank you for that tremendous setup. <laughs> <sighs> that we softballed good. that one into existence.
0: <laughs> um so I don't I don't know what this movie's trying to do because it it doesn't ride the line of is she crazy? Right. I thought that's what the whole bulimia thing was going to be was that, you know, she's she's so ill or she's so undernourished that maybe she's hallucinating things. And maybe in the in the book or something that was a sort of undercurrent, or it's what I, feel I, like I guess it a- exists so George can discount her and say, hey, this is all happening because you're not eating or whatever. Yeah. But
1: and I know, think if- in a book you can get away with that, but in in the movie, you know, they would have had to do more suggestive of ghosts shots and I guess mm-hmm. they just didn't want to. <laughs> yeah, that like takes God, a lot of time. Would, a, lot of take a lot of effort. And I don't know. It's I mean, already pretty t- expensive to get Amanda Seyfried in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of there's
0: a lot of lights flashing. There's a lot of chairs moving around. There's a lot of just strange happenings. But one thing that that immediately switches this from a horror film into something else for me is that the idea gets floated fairly early on that having a spirit in your house doesn't have to be a bad thing, right? Maybe the spirits are good and, and they're trying to help you. Right. So the, the F Marie Abraham character, he brings over like his whole entourage of seance people and they're literally in one scene and we never hear from them again. Uh, And I think they were all just cast by friends of the director, directors, uh, because they, they're obviously not, like professional actors, apart from f Murray Abraham, <laughs> at least they didn't appear to be, and they have this seance and and the whole undercurrent of the seance scene is for these people to communicate that goodness will always win, whether in in this life or the next, that spirits are here to help and not to hurt, and that you know you can just embrace them and and trust them and and so there's this whole concept that that the ghost is not actually the enemy um but then they also float the idea that there could be another ghost that is in the same conversation which is like okay so you you just told me that the spirits being here are good but apparently sometimes depending on the spirits it's not good uh and so spoiler it's it's the previous owners of the house. that's all it is, and it's not a big reveal, and it I guess that's one of my biggest issues with is this. this movie is incredibly predictable, like to the point yeah. of being insulting because yeah. it spends time developing reveals that are so obvious that you're like, wait was that a was that a reveal because you should. okay so it feels, this is it the- feels
1: like nothing happened.
0: Yeah, there's not a lot that happens for a long time. I mean, things happen, but nothing that feels significant until later when you realize, oh, that that was significant because of this or whatever. Um, So basically, Amanda Seyfried does her. It's 1980, so she can't use Google. So she has to go use the microfiche machine at the local library because you still need that scene. You know, it has to be in here somewhere. Somebody's got to do it. Yeah. And, and so she starts researching the house and uh, I guess she finds an old Bible. That's yeah. what kicks really everything off. She it's finds a an old Bible She It's
1: got a bunch of names in it of people who died.
0: Right. It's it's the the old Bible that had those space in the back for your family tree where you could write down all the people in your family. And so she finds the name of the original people who owned the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, And, and she does some research on them. And so she initially believes that the the spirit that's haunting her is, is the wife of the the people who built the home back in the the early 1800s or whatever. And, and so she's fairly convinced that it's her. And, and, you know, we, as the audience are meant to also believe that it's her. And we get to see a picture. She, you know, she goes to the volunteer society and they're like, oh yeah, there's a picture of your house, like in the other room, just, you know, next to the map. Or whatever, and and so we get this very, you know, it's it's a modern picture. It's obviously a modern picture, staged to look old. And and you know, it's this much older guy, and then a young girl, and and
1: (laughs) no, you know, it wasn't an original
0: picture. It wasn't an original picture. No way. The movie lied. (laughs) Movies are all lies. They're lying to you.
1: (laughs) My favorite return of the living dead quote for you <laughs> movie, you made the movie lied And
0: and so, like, we we see a picture of that woman, and then later in the film, about halfway through the film, we see like they actually show us the ghost. And it's obviously not the same person. Like it's yeah. super obviously not the same person. And and so when they revealed oh, it's not her, she's not the ghost, I was like, Well, yeah. Obviously, I mean, yeah, obviously, it's ghost. not her. <laughs> we saw the ghost, and that is not the person that was in that picture. I remember movie. It was only like twenty minutes ago that you showed me the picture. It's not like I've completely—I anyway, don't have face blindness. This isn't prosopagnosia where I'm like, it's not the same person. Are you kidding me?
1: I thought um, all ghosts looked the same, though. Maybe it's like uh, all ghosts are just a scary lady. I mean, the only, only decent—the
0: this- only decent shot in this movie is that first reveal of the ghost. Uh, Amanda Seyfried hears something. She storms down to the garage, and as she passes the stairs to the basement, you know the ghost is standing there again. Mike Flanagan, we're coming for your money because we're going to do what you did all over the you know Haunting of Hill House and have ghosts everywhere in the background, but hidden so skillfully most of the time that you don't see them unless you're looking for them. But this one, we're going to screw it up by having it be a super obvious thing as she storms past the, the door. And I, I just wasn't expecting the film to be so upfront with the ghost stuff, right? It's like
1: this it movie goes, goes from being
0: like spooky, it, ooky stuff to like full on end of poltergeist, like, sh- sh- you know, shit's getting thrown around the room and ghosts are just kind of walking around. And it's like, well, where was our transition point of escalation to get us here? Yeah. Like what, when, what happened? And the answer is not much.
1: And I think that the film isn't doing itself any favors by playing into this very twee style uh, of horror film that I don't feel like this plot necessarily works with. Um, and I I think that made the the introduction of this very heavy handed, you know, cheesy ghost element even more obvious because the rest of the movie is trying to be very subtle. And low key, and then it just boom—ghosts, many ghosts—and and it was a little. It was like you said; it's just intense.
2: Yeah.
0: And so, for me, again, this this is really a story about the the fracturing of a relationship. So, Seyfried and and her husband—you know—they're she's isolated. She feels alone. She doesn't really have any contact. She makes some friends. Uh, she becomes very good friends with the, the weaver from the college. They, they sort of bond. And, uh, you know, she invites her to go to women's groups. She, you know, spends time with her. And so she gets a little bit of interaction there. But basically, it's, it's this whole idea of the country isolation, right? I'm out in the middle of the woods. I, I don't have anybody around me. Of course, there's a lot of sexual tension uh, between her and the young man that, you know, was the handyman figure. That's uh, eventually, you know, sort of develops into something as the, the relationship continues to fracture with her husband. But also we get these scenes of George, you know, pursuing, you know, paramours as well. And uh, he eventually, uh, Nancy from Stranger Things is in this. Yeah. She plays a young girl named Willis.
1: Although what is the purpose meets. of this character and why do we have any scenes with her?
0: We need to show that George is terrible. And that he's a dirty, dirty cheater and has probably cheated before because um, he, you know, when he starts at the college, he he becomes like the the Indiana Jones teacher, right? Where all mm-hmm. the girls are sitting in the front and they're batting their eyes at him. And he's obviously just lapping it up because he's terrible. But he he stumbles across this girl at like a library. They're in like the library or something, I think. Yeah, it's, it's definitely at the That's
1: library. Where you definitely and- go to troll for ass.
0: That's right. That's right. Hang where out I in go. the public I mean, library. Head to the public library, hit up that computer section. Mm, <laughs> some, some sweet action down there. Uh, maybe the magazines. Just check it out. Uh, and And so he picks up this girl, or, or she reveals enough personal information about who she is and what she's doing that he can then stalk her. Yeah. Because that's the other piece of this movie that I was really curious what you thought about it. Because. I based on my my initial impressions thought George was going to be like that low key shitty husband, right? Like I'm just not attentive and I'm obsessed with my work and I don't really give a shit about my kid and and I uh, might
1: cheat on my wife, but I'm not like a super villain.
0: Right. I'm I'm not literally Hannibal Lecter except I don't eat people.
1: This dude went from just shitty to mustache twirly. Yeah. And I really hate that. I, and I feel like movies do that when they're afraid that the audience will sympathize with the bad guy in any way.
0: Yeah, he, he nukes his personality by the end of this. And, and I've, I feel bad for the actor. Because this is one of those roles that, while I'm sure it was juicy to perform, like this is one of those roles that I feel can just destroy your career for a couple of years. Because he's so terrible. You know it's 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 Joffrey from Game of Thrones, right? Like that his career is over. He's never going to act in anything ever again because the moment anybody sees his face, they're just going to think of just what an absolute piece of human garbage that character was. And
1: thankfully no one will see this movie, so that shouldn't hinder shouldn't him too, too much, but think if someone had watched it.
0: Yeah. And <laughs> so uh, to to give you an idea of George's arc, he starts off as sort of a just low-key screw-up who's wound up at this college because he didn't quite accomplish the goals that he had, but then finds some measure of success in this, you know, backwater college, right? Like, so he's he's the big man in a very small pond for a brief period of time. And and so, like, I was like, okay, that's fine. You know, there are plenty of people, there are plenty of literary stories that tell the the hidden personal lives of you know academic geniuses right and just how absolutely terrible they can be to the people around them which he obviously is to his wife um, I, I will say i'll give this one a bit of credit that it, it is if you are unfamiliar with the term gaslighting or you would like to see what that looks like when enacted as it often does in quote unquote real life this movie's not bad because the the gaslighting that George does to uh, Catherine's character is subtle most of the time, and but yet that sort of like severe back end that you see the threat behind it, right? You see the the danger in having this person constantly telling you, you know, obviously you you're you're seeing this wrong, right? This is the way it really is, and, and it certainly isn't something bad that I did. And it becomes super obvious once he attempts to then cover up his affair. He accuses her of potentially having an affair with uh, Jackie, who is the the weaver character that she likes to hang out with. Oh, you know, are you going to be lesbians together? And, you know, how dare you? And, and, and all of these these sort of terrible things that he does. But as you said, he goes full supervillain in the third act of this film. Um, he begins murdering people in cold blood. <laughs> To protect his relatively unimportant position.
1: <laughs> I mean, um, like, dude, you can just get a job at like a community college or something. You should yeah. just, just just give it up.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're you're at a tiny little school in in the Hudson River Valley, man. There's there's other stuff out there.
1: Did you know there so, are other places to live in New York? <laughs> yeah, it's like
0: it's okay. But what what comes to light, and, and I will say that. These these setup and payoff pieces of, of who George is and and what he's done as they get revealed are, are pretty good, uh, you know, because we're kind of shown everything from Catherine's perspective. So the timeline of George's life and he reveals this to characters, you know, sort of throughout the film as we go. He was a young man, pretty directionless, and then his older cousin, uh, a man named Henry, uh, seemingly commits suicide, maybe not. I might might actually have been, been our, our good friend George. It's kind of insinuated, um but he dies in a boating accident and and George gets a hold of his diary and and just learns all of these things about his cousin and what what is eventually revealed is that George didn't just find solace in his cousin's diary as he was attempting to understand why he might have had this quote unquote accident. But he legitimately stole his life and his ambitions so again i, I mentioned talented mr ripley uh mm-hmm. a very good matt damon film directed by anthony minghella way back remake in the of an even
1: better movie called uh, uh, purple noon what is that was it called purple noon the original one uh
0: i believe so yes yeah. And because it it ended up itself as a remake, but that is about a man who commits what we would now call identity theft, right? He murders someone and then steps into their role because nobody knows that guy. And so he can be who they are. And so that's apparently what George had done. He stole the paintings that his uh, cousin had done and then used them as part of his application into art school without anybody knowing, which was, I called immediate bullshit on in the film. Like, are you telling me that nobody And figured out that those paintings that he wound up with them, like no one ever talked about them. It was that was suspect. But so he sold these paintings. He used them to get into art school. He went through art school, barely made it apparently. And then what the big reveal, the reveal that drives most of George's actions in the final stretch of the film is that he didn't actually pass his doctoral thesis. Um, That he failed. And his advisor refused to give him the letters of recommendation required to get a job in academia. And so he forged them. He just straight up wrote one for himself. Uh, as he says to another character later in the film, I wrote the letter I deserved. <laughs> Which, I mean, if that that's is how it works. a great line. It is a good line, right? Uh, and it is a line that unfortunately I think probably is has been uttered by more than a few disgruntled academics in their yeah. lifetime.
1: Um, I actually. I kind of wish that this had been the focus of the movie. (laughs) Yeah. I I would have liked to have seen this. I mean, maybe less supervillain. I still think they crammed a lot of that in there. Cause I feel like the movie wastes a ton of time on ghosts when the real horror is this relationship, (laughs) this
0: dude and how he has just jacked up his entire life. And as a result, the lives of these people that he claims to love and care for, yeah. I mean, that is the horror and the tragedy of the film and it's meant the ghost stuff. So the, the, the connection to the house is that all of the women who have lived in that house had these domineering asshole husbands who ended up killing them. Basically um, they had, you know, either killing them for their ideas, which it's strongly insinuated that the the wife of the original builder of the home had very different spiritual ideas than her husband, and so he took affront at that and killed her, and and either got rid of the body. Like I, I don't think her murder was ever solved. And then the the more recent owner of the house, her husband was heavily abusive. the 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 two guys who work as the handyman again, they're revealed as being the children of that couple. And he talks about being violently abused. You know, he expressed the desire to play music and go to a music college. And, you know, his father beat him with a two by four. So there's a, a ton of domestic violence. And, and then it culminates in him um, basically gassing himself and his wife using the, the car in the garage. Right. Which Amanda Seyfried very early starts smelling like you know, car fumes in the house repeatedly. And that's the spirit that is attempting to to reach out and connect with her throughout the film. Uh, the ring that she wears is is supposedly uh, belonged to the mother. She finds that ring on the windowsill when the glowy gold lights pass over it. She puts it on. So there's like this connection point there. That I guess we'll we'll get to the end. But it's revealed that that ring has a, a longer history with the house and the women who live there. Which is like okay, I guess that's all right what difference does it make but it's it the idea is that all of these women are connected by this this oppression being placed on them by you know the man in their lives okay and that the the cycle has to be broken at some point and hopefully it will be uh this time spoilers
1: it's, it's kind of not <laughs> yeah i actually i i felt like uh the movie sort of fell down a little bit there cuz Real hard. The ghosts didn't actually help.
0: <laughs> nope, not at all. They
1: didn't help anybody.
0: <laughs> yep, not a wit. Uh no help to be had. So this movie is is basically a long relationship drama that is the only thing that drives it are a series of somewhat slap hazardly or these these kind of sort of Slapdash reveals of of things that our, our central character just doesn't know, either because somebody's lying to her, or because she's just oblivious or ignorant. Um, and so the the major reveals, uh, I guess we could run through them very quickly, are that the previous owner, the owners of the house, died there, which George knew because he talked to the real estate agent. That's who Karen Allen plays, and she told him, but he doesn't tell her about. Um,
1: which i still don't understand why that's just a trope in movies i can't yeah. tell my wife about the dead I, baby. I was
0: trying to protect you from the I, bad I things i just
1: i don't understand <laughs> and
0: so the the previous owners died the kids that are being their handymen are their children so why they want to hang around the house is again a plot thread that's brought up and then Just dismissed. They just say, "Oh, we like it," and they're like, "Oh, okay, cool." Um, (laughs) That's the next major reveal is that George uh, forged his dissertation recommendation right from his teacher, and then a series of, I guess, smaller reveals of sort of Amanda Seyfried's background, right? That um, you know her struggles with uh, eating disorder, her Frustrations with her her family and their inability to sort of give her good advice about things, and then finally that George had just basically stolen his cousin's life, and then everything at the end of the film just goes right off the rails. Uh, I mean, I just in in the goofiest ways. So the the thing that we'll, we'll come back to later, this movie's structure, I think, is a problem. And I don't, I'm interested to see if you feel the same way because we open at the end, right? With the husband running across the field after something terrible has happened, we right roll it. back and then we just kind of run through the the eight to 10 months that lead up to that day and, and see everything go. Right. So Amanda Seyfried's frustrated with her, her lot in life. She feels isolated, alone, ghost experiences, of various kinds of recurring the husband is leaving town, leaving every day to to go to his job. He meets a young girl at the library, has an affair. This makes him paranoid. He believes now that Amanda Seyfried is going to start having an affair. She's lonely enough that it seems like she might be down for that, but she's well. There's she's not. a lot
1: of oh, there's a lot of horniness between her and the the young man yeah boy who lived there i don't and the movie mm. keeps doing that and it also has the younger brother doing that too like there was this really awkward moment where they were looking at her boobs
0: right and like the movie made me uncomfortable
1: where it was like you know i didn't really need to be in on that little moment (laughs) there i could have done without that you didn't
0: need to see the 12 year old (laughs) titillated by the i
1: yeah i don't need to be reminded I don't yeah, need to be reminded that that's a fact of my life and every other person who has boobs.
0: There's, there's a couple of moments where, and again, maybe this is something that came out of the adaptation where, you know, she, it seems fairly innocent from Catherine's side, from Seyfried's side. You know, she's just wearing a shirt and they're in like a cold attic or something. But there certainly so is this weird. like this, this like understated tension between them. Right. Like there is this this unstated attraction, or at least it remains unstated until you know, towards the end of the film for the older brother, at least. But, you know, she's looking for someone to connect with. Uh, George is looking for somebody to have sex with. And and they both kind of get what they want. Um but the the breaking point of the film is when Seyfried has realized what her husband truly is, right? That he's been lying to her this whole time, that he's not really the person that she thought that he was. And so she decides to leave. And uh, he comes home after killing two people or killing one and then attempting to kill another <laughs> and then, you know, makes this discovery. And, and you know, this this leads to the, the you know, sort of final run of the movie. But. I just, again, that his turn to being a psychopath is also accompanied with this realization that the spirit of the husband that did the killing or whatever inspired them to do the killing is also in the house. And I had a huge problem with this. Because it's almost seems like whether intentional or not, the filmmakers are using this to kind of give his behaviors a pass.
1: Yes. And it, was, it wasn't me. It was the ghost.
0: Yeah. Like he, that. He, okay. So would he not be this homicidal maniac except for these ghosts? Because it's kind of hinted at that he was this guy beforehand and maybe the ghosts are amplifying it. I don't know. But he starts hearing whispers like they both do. The The ghosty stuff in this movie just explodes in the third act. Like the last 40 minutes cheesy. of this movie. They're hearing, they're whispering. She's like, the ghost is like whispering. You're like, I'm here for you. I'm going to care for you. I'll keep you safe. Like, it's like. I'm just going to be of,
1: honest. Movies should never do that. No, <laughs> it's
0: so bad. Like, I, I like movies that do. Um. Or, or media of any kind, really, because a few video games Well, So you and I both have an, an unreasonable affection for uh, the video game control that came out mm-hmm. last year. I
1: and one of the things that, that really does to great
0: effect actors. is that the, 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 the situation that that character finds themselves in, they're surrounded by this force called the hiss. And what it mm-hmm. does is it makes people mutter these incomprehensible phrases. Yeah, uh, and it just run, runs in the background of the soundtrack in most of the areas of the game, and you just kind and, of hear this noise. And
1: what that game does really, really well is it doesn't take it over the line into cheesy. It somehow walks that very, very delicate balance, that very, very thin tightrope of of dialogue where it doesn't it doesn't take it too far.
0: Yes, and and this. I think this movie, if you're going to do ghost language it should be more that, right? Like
1: it's gotta be weird.
0: It's, it's gotta be disconnected somehow. If it's, if it's literally just a human, another human being talking to you and offering words of solace, I don't know if I'm okay with that. Well, at the very least I will say it does not appeal to me. Right. Like it, it doesn't work for me. And. That stuff just really was kind of over the top. I mean, she has like, she sees the ghost fully. The ghost has like facial expressions. She's talking to her. It's, it's very strange. It's a weird way to approach this kind of material, given the tools and technology that we have to do stuff now. Um, And it it just kind of never hits very well. So the final piece of this film is basically the husband loses his mind, right? So he's confronted by his department chair who says he was contacted by the advisor who said, I never wrote that letter. It's forgery, which is painted in the film as being this, like, being against the law. And I'll, I'll admit, I, I don't know anything about this. I mean, forgery of any kind is, is, of course, bad. So forging a signature, things of that nature, I, I know that that's illegal. So, I mean, there would certainly be consequences for what he did. But again, it doesn't seem like something that would be just the end of the world. In terms of an academic career, right? Somebody will it's, take
1: you. It's it's not um, it's not like a a license to practice medicine or anything. They're not going to revoke your college because you your you college fake
0: is invalid. The letter, now. like
1: yeah, they they don't do that. I don't I don't think. Um, so it didn't. It just doesn't seem like that big of a problem. But you know, at the same time. People murder for really stupid reasons.
0: Yes, I, I don't want to spend too much time on like, is it a really good justification for murder? It's like yeah, there's no stuff. there's no
1: good justification for murder. That's the point. Yeah. But the movie also doesn't inspire me to believe any of the events that are taking place. That's what it is. It's believability.
0: Right. I mean, it's not it,
1: justifiable. Just, it's believable.
0: It goes zero to sixty way too fast. Yeah. And and. If they had perhaps made him a more sinister figure throughout the entire film, and there certainly are hints of that, like his insistence that they need to sedate their daughter, um, and, and things like that. Certainly he has these qualities, and he's definitely a jerk. But there are lots of people in the world who are not great fathers and are kind of a jerk who are also not homicidal maniacs.
1: Yeah, and and that's that's something that I just in in general I don't like to see movies embrace that vision of a villain that it has to be a mustache twirler and he has to just be you know depraved he could just be a jerk
0: yeah i mean and and if this movie's ultimate goal is to get him to the point where he feels because okay so he he kills his department chair he drowns him in the river or at least pushes him overboard and makes sure that he drowns in the river um, and, and we know this because he comes back to shore completely soaked, so he had left the boat out there and swam back to shore, so obviously bad things happened. Then he uh, right after that, like literally right after that, tries to run the the woman Justine off the road, uh was Sokolov, I guess her name is, tries to run her off the road because she sees him wet, and so he tries to kill her, but he doesn't stop to verify that she's dead. He just pushes her it off almost, the road.
1: It it becomes almost a almost comedic the way he just starts knocking people off.
0: Yeah. Like he just is totally fine with it.
1: And and no movie should make me laugh at that. I shouldn't be laughing at the murders that occur. At least unless that's the point, which I don't think it was. I don't think I was supposed to be laughing.
0: <laughs> and I think it would have so much more weight if the breaking point was him killing his wife because that's where this is headed. Yeah. Um so George in his, his frenzy to protect what little he has left because he, you know, he kills his department chair. He was the only guy who knew about the, the you know, dissertation problem. So once he's dead, the rest of the department's like, Hey, could you be department chair? And he's like, well, sure. So there's all this stuff of him, like, you know, getting to move into the big office and all this you know dumb stuff. Um, And then Justine doesn't die, but she's in a coma that she may never wake up from, of course, because it's literature. Um, (laughs) And so she goes into a coma. He feels like he's gotten away with it. But of course, the the damage between his relationship, uh, the damage in his relationship between him and his wife is irreparable. And so she tries to leave. And he basically reenacts the previous occupant's actions. Right. So again, there's supposed to be this ghost connection. But before that happens, I, I wanted to to ask you about this. So I think it's the night that he comes home from, you know, try running Justine off the road and, and his clothes are wet and she finds him in the, the laundry room, like putting his clothes in the washer to wash them. And then he doesn't, he say something to the effect of like, if you're really here, give me a sign. It's like an 80-yard line. It's very weird. It kind of comes out of nowhere. And then like a crow breaks through the window (laughs) in their bedroom. I
1: laughed laughed out loud. It it was
0: so ridiculous. Like, wait, okay, so are you telling me that this guy who's just been staunchly, ghosts aren't real, you're out of your mind, that justifies me treating you like garbage because you're crazy. Did he just ask for proof that the ghost was real and then receive it? has he been communing with the ghost this whole time? And so this is where like his side of things either needed to be more fully fleshed out or less. Like, because they're and and honestly, it's kind of an Amityville horror thing, right? Where like the spirits inside the husband and he's going crazy and he's going to kill all the people and which which is fine. But if
1: they had done that from the start, that could have been really interesting that these two different spirits are trying to fight you know, through these two people, also in a bad relationship, like it's the house of the of the perpetual bad marriage or something. I don't That's know. That's right.
0: Yes, it attracts people with bad marriages.
1: But all of this just comes out of nothing. <laughs> the movie is just a shitty marriage, shitty marriage, shitty marriage. A couple of weird ghost sightings, and then and then murder. it turns into <laughs> murder and Ghostbusters. It's it's just nuts, and I don't know why i don't know why the movie decided to take that turn
0: yeah just it doesn't just doesn't earn it uh yeah and it's not necessarily anything with the actors i think the actors are doing fine it's really just it seems like the scenes that were chosen to communicate the story were not the right scenes and i i for me i think it either needed to be focused and i imagine this was the book at least in some circumstances, focus much more rigidly on Catherine's perspective. Cause we spend a lot of time with George on his own, just kind of out yeah. in the world doing things. And that's fine. We need to establish those other characters and, and what George is attempting to accomplish. But screen time in a film often translates to who we want you to sort of sympathize with, whose perspective we want you to understand. And since the movie is surprisingly balanced between the two of them, I don't think we really get pushed into Seyfried's world and we don't necessarily get that sense of isolation because we're constantly backing, you know, bouncing back and forth. And I think this movie would be much more terrifying if it was just Seyfried always in the house, having spooky experiences, talking to her daughter, the handyman kids coming by people dropping in but like everything stays in the house. Yeah. And then when her husband comes home over the course of the film he sort of carefully construct his slow change from being like an okay but mostly kind of shitty guy into this terror, right? To where he's violent and cruel. And and it it needs to get there from Catherine's perspective to maintain some semblance of horror. But I, I think they just kind of break that by constantly forcing us into to George's point of view. And by the end of the film, George's point of view is sufficiently twisted, which is good. Uh, like the scene with him, uh, he takes Justine outside. They have a dinner party. He takes her outside to a swing and like holds onto her wrist and tells her to you know, try to get away.
1: And see, I loved that.
0: Yeah, that scene was good.
1: That was a flash of the movie I wished that this had been.
0: Right, because to make someone terrifying, you don't have to put an axe in their hand and have them stomp around the house. I mean, as The Shining shows us, that that works. But the mm-hmm. reason why that works in The Shining is because that's the end result because of- Jack
1: Nicholson is terrifying.
0: Well, yes, that's <laughs> you. <laughs> but- That is the end result of a much more slow and subtle buildup of change and tension inside of Jack Torrance as a character in that film, where you see the slow devolving of a man who wasn't good to begin with, but was not necessarily an axe murderer, but he gets there. And this movie kind of bungles that. And and Um, and it, it rushes towards it in the last, you know, 20 minutes in a way that doesn't really feel natural at all
1: yeah well it couldn't make up its mind if it wanted a redemptive arc for george in some way and to like blame this on spirits or if it just wanted to go whole hog he was a terrible person all along because i like you said i'm still not really sure what the movie was trying to say
0: yeah i mean it really feels like it's insinuating that he may have murdered his cousin um as well you know he he but it
1: undercuts that with this with spiritual stuff,
0: <laughs> right? And and that was my again my biggest beef with the end of this movie is them letting him have an out that you know oh the spirit is making me do it or I'm engaging with this dark spirit that this is driving me to these these lunatic you know ideas, but I I think that that's a an, an easy out for that character. I think he was always that bad, and and we need to see him always be that bad. And I you know. It, It's, it's just, it's, it's unearned, right? It's, it's unearned character beat, um, for the most part. So I I guess let's talk about safe read real quick. I don't want to get too far away, um, from her performance. I, I, I know you didn't really care for her take on this. I I guess if you want to sort of go into why.
1: Um, I just don't think she does anything. Uh, I didn't get a a strong sense of anything from her. Like to the point where I, I don't, e- I can't even really describe a character for you. I'm having a a real Queen Amidala moment where, like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to conjure up even a little bit of detail about her that's not just what she looks like, or you know, like her job. But she, even her job yeah. i don't we don't really see that. we don't get a sense no. of it. We hear about it, mm-hmm. um, but we're not shown anything uh, and i i I have a problem with it with her character because we see so much of George, and we get such a good idea of what kind of shitty person he is, to the yeah. point where i I enjoyed the George scenes more than the Dude, I can't even remember her name. What was her name?
0: Uh Catherine.
1: Catherine. Shit. Mm-hmm. That's my name. <laughs> yes. Hey, it's
0: Catherine uh, with the C. It's that's different.
1: true. It's Catherine with a C. It's totally different. But but like that's what I'm saying. I I can't even commit to memory that this this woman has the same name as me. Um, because there was just oh, and and she's she has an eating disorder. And yeah. uh, you know, don't get me started on how she's I really mom. hate characterizing people by their traumas or, you know, the children that they have. This is just bad characterization. Well, we're all
0: characterization. defined by our traumas, right? I'm at, I our, my dog died it. when I was six, and that became it. the entire crux of my character. I hate it. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's weak. So so she's, I feel like- She's beset upon wife. Like, that's all she is. Yeah, and she's beset but, upon- And me. I, and, and I she get should. it. I mean,
1: I am a writer. I know that it's, it's much easier to write a shitbag- like I know that. I know that it's easier True. to sit down oh, on a, yeah. in front of a blank screen and write a terrible person right. because you can just sort of pack in all of this detail. Yeah. You know, it's easy to write that guy. But it's it shouldn't have been that hard to give us a slightly more detailed person. Just give her give her something. I mean, I've never been anxious to see characterizations through quirk in my whole life. Like I was with this movie. Like, give me something that this woman has. Like a weird thing. Or or just a, a a hobby. Or maybe she's got a catchphrase. Shit, I don't know. Just give me something. Other than I have giant eyes.
0: Yes, Amanda Seyfried does have uh, relatively large eye globes. And she is employing them to a great degree in this film. Well, it's she,
1: things heard and seen.
0: That's right. To- so you must emphasize the eyes. And... Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's my issue with her as well. I I don't think Amanda Seyfried is a bad actress. Um, I, I think she has taken some some. I don't know if she's always made great like choices in projects, and this this may fall into that category as well. Uh, my first interaction with her was as one of the older siblings on Big Love.
1: <clears throat> I really liked her on that show. I yeah, mean, I, I mean, didn't like her, but I liked. <laughs> how that character was written and uh, I liked the writing on that show. So I know she can act.
0: Yes, no doubt. But here, it, it, as you said, like she is a, a woman who has been isolated and gaslit and, and, you know, beaten down by a, a surprisingly overbearing husband that doesn't appear to be so overbearing. For you know, seemingly the last few years, and and is sort of wrestling with that trauma, and I think in that way, you know, she has a few scenes in the film, especially with the the the, hand, the older handyman character. She sort of connects with him, where you know she's sort of just she just does a lot of staring in this movie. She just she's looking at stuff
2: a lot. And,
1: and you and, know, we were spoiled by Shelley Duvall in The Shining playing the trope of 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 the battered wife. Mm -hmm. I mean, because anytime I see an actress, you know, trying to do this, it seems like they go immediately to Shelley Duvall's like wide eyed stare, but they don't get any of the other stuff that she did. Yeah, (laughs) So I feel like Seyfried gets there where she's got the big, you know, goggle eyed. What am I doing here? But then we don't get the rest of the performance.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, like her, her moments is uh so the the end game of this movie she attempts to leave george discovers it and and earlier or just a few minutes before we had seen george filling a prescription of sedatives and we've been told earlier in the film that the way that the guy killed his previous wife the, the previous owners of the home is that he gave the entire family sedatives so that they would all go to sleep then he dragged the wife down to the garage or something and and basically gave, you know, killed them with carbon monoxide poisoning. And then the boys kind of woke up later and and found their parents. So we see George buying a sedative, you know, I guess, because the spirit told him to, and, and he laces one of her protein drinks, like, which this isn't that whole thing. I was like, okay, what? So he gets home from work. Finds the bags, comes inside. They have a little fight. She's like, ah, the baby's asleep. Just let her sleep, you know, blah, blah, blah. Go to bed. Don't worry about it. And then he's like, you look like you didn't eat your protein shake. And she's like, okay. He's like, you need to eat your protein shake. And in the middle of this fight, and this this girl knows that she is she's ditching this dude, like, that night. Are you telling me she took the time to just, like, sit down at the dining room table? And we don't see this happen, Right uh well maybe she we see her pop it open i don't remember it doesn't it literally doesn't matter, but <laughs> she takes the time to drink this thing that he's just handed her and doesn't think about that i i again i'm sitting there watching and being like what why would you take why would you take when you when you guy?
1: reach when you reach that point of feeling unsafe in your abusive marriage you should not be accepting food or drink from from the spouse. They they probably don't have your best interests in mind.
0: Yeah, and, um, and and why would you at that I just don't understand and it's it's supposed to be super late. Like she says that it's super late. Like why would you do this? And and so he spikes the drink with a sedative and, and like her her big moment, and it's supposed to you can tell like the design of it was supposed to be like This is it, right? This is her emotional crux. And she's out on their front lawn. The sedative has started kicking in and she just screams, help us into the open air, which should be this emotionally devastating moment, right? It's it's the Shawshank moment, right? They do. It's on a crane. It's bird's eye view. She's looking up at the sky. She's screaming at the top of her lungs. It's it it should be this this moment that wrecks you. And I just laughed. Maybe I'm the psychopath. Maybe I'm the sociopath. (laughs) Maybe I'm the person that needs professional help. But she did that and I just giggled. I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, okay, if, if you are truly sedated now, you have a very limited amount of energy at your disposal and you are wasting it. Pounding your fists against the earth and screaming into the open air when you know full well that there is nothing that anybody can do for you. And, if this was a character that I had any inkling as to their internal motivations or powers or strengths, she's obviously smart. She's obviously resilient. She's obviously capable, but in these last few moments, she just turns into this ineffectual and incapable individual. And it's really unsatisfying.
1: It's, it just relies on, on every single bad, bad, bad trope. About again, like I said, you know, the battered wife trope, but I see this in movies all the time, and it doesn't work because it's not realistic. you know, be A person is not defined or made by their traumas. you know that's of course, important to who you are, but she needed more than that, like a lot more than that.
0: Yeah, so as everything breaks down, she works her way back up to the bedroom to try and use the bedroom phone to to call for help um and and george shows up with an axe and and starts chopping her up and this is where the ghost stuff goes crazy because she's sedated now right so it's it's, I, i guess the filmmakers felt like that was a it was an open door to just get weird with the ghost stuff. So she's hearing whispering <laughs> flashes of light. She's seeing the ghost. If your writing team now. ever
1: says, we're going to get weird with the ghost stuff. <laughs> we're going we to get weird with the brakes
0: ghost. on. Um, and, and it just, it it just runs. I mean, the, the only expression that works is it runs straight off the rails, right? Like all semblance of, is this real? Is this not kind of just goes straight out the window. And, and then she dies, which is why I think most people are reacting negatively to this because this is not the kind of movie where you want to spend two hours getting to know this this woman that you're obviously meant to feel sympathy for you're obviously meant to root for in getting out of this and away from this and she just gets freaking axe murdered at the end and I don't care if you're going to have her show up later in a shimmery white dress with the other ghost in a shimmery white dress and be like everything's fine now because remember the movie told you good always wins does it i i it's it's completely unsatisfying and the main thing that pissed me off is that like now what's going to happen to the kid right like cuz now the daughter's either going to grow up with this serial murderer like triple mur- triple homicide in the last week <laughs> that this guy's committed so he's going to be her dad or she's going to grow up with her like terrible grandparents uh, supposedly the book answers this too, because the book actually flashes has periods where it flashes forward like 20 years into the future with the grown-up daughter who is attempting to sell this farmhouse that's just kind of clung to her family. They can't get rid of it. And she finally sells it and has to go to the house and like finalize everything and it brings back all these memories. And and so I was like, well, that would have been interesting or an interesting perspective. To to introduce that would have been film.
1: like an interesting way to open the movie.
0: Yeah, m- definitely much more so than the way it is.
1: Like a neat framing device. I would have might have nice. remembered more about the movie.
0: <laughs> nah, probably not. Nah. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> but like, there were just again threads that that just don't get wrapped up because it's like, okay, well, what happens to her? Nah, we don't really care, right? Like this who do? doesn't really matter. So she dies, and and then the police procedural part kicks in. Right, so we had met the town sheriff earlier. He's the one who's married to Karen Allen. Uh, he comes back, and I—I I guess they're trying to play the small town, just sort of intelligent but slightly off kilter guy. And so, like the, his big scene, he like kind of just hoves his way into the bedroom, bodies there on the beds, blood everywhere. He looks down at the floor, looks back at George. He's like, "Is that your axe, George?" That blown to you? and that's like the end of the scene it's like, <laughs> what is this yeah it's his axe of course it's his axe but George is attempting to say that it was a uh, robbery gone bad Right, someone had broken into the house to rob it found the wife and, and killed her while the daughter was downstairs asleep so yeah makes sense but he has an alibi because he says that it happened during the day that the wife was alive um, when he left even though no one had seen her and he left a note telling that she, telling everyone that she should not be disturbed because she was sick. So that was the other piece. It was like it all kind of, his story is shaky. The, the sheriff immediately believes that it's him but doesn't have enough evidence. I'm like, hey, if she was on a sedative, that would immediately show up in a toxicology report, which would definitely be a thing that they would do immediately. Even in 1980, they would run a toxicology report. So that's going to be suspicious.
1: But that and was the olden time.
0: I, I just there were just a bunch of pieces. It was like, okay, well, why is it not a foregone conclusion that this guy is the guilty party? And then the whole thing comes down to Justine waking up from her coma because the ghost tells her to. That's that's what it is. And Justine, of course, knows the truth oh. about who he was because he saw the scarf that she gave to the little dalliance. Um that Justine had made a scarf, and then he gave it to his, his paramour instead of to the his mother. That he said he was going to give it to. So Justine knows about that. Justine saw him wet coming out of the river on the night that the department chair died, and then of course, you know, Justine remembers quite clearly that he's the one that ran her off the road. So with all of that evidence, he's doomed. So we get our our last scene of the film. Really, is George preparing for the end? Uh, he shaves. Get a bunch more ghost whispering. It's like you, you deserve this. They've, they're the ones who did this to you. It wasn't your fault. You know all of this, like just weird, like self affirmations from Satan stuff that's running through his head. And and then he goes and gets on his boat called the Lost Horizon that he inherited Ah. from his cousin who died, and he maybe presumably on that boat, probably on that boat and. And then he drives into a Georgianist painting, but a reversed Georgianist painting because he's not going to heaven, kids. He's going to hell, straight down. What?
2: So the what?
0: the first the opening shots of this film are all of these pastoral images that eventually uh. you know fade into a, an overlay that looks like it over the frame. And so the last set of images in this film are. Again, he's sailing into a storm and that storm turns into a a, a George in his painting. But now it's the upside down cross and there's fire in the water that's consuming the boat. And I've actually I mean, a surprising number of people have done like, you know, the what happens at the end of things heard and seen videos on YouTube where it's like, are I mean, do you have questions? Are you not are you not sure what happened? yeah um he dies he definitely dies yeah. but i I hated all of this stuff with George because he gets like a discount on his badness at the end for being a, you know listening to the spirits and you know so that wasn't totally his fault and then he doesn't get justice. he just goes out on his boat and dies and it sucks. Like, he needs to to be hauled away in handcuffs and go to jail. That's what needs to happen to him at the end. Like, it's not poignant that he sails into a Sveterborg concept. Well... I I don't know. The ending did not work for me
2: at all.
1: It did not work for me either. Mostly because the movie had not done anything like that up until that point. And yeah, then I mean, how just, awesome it would it have went, been to
0: see characters, like, walk into those paintings?
1: If you're going to have an art motif like that, like, I love art. I love classic paintings. I, like, I, I love that stuff. If they had worked that into the whole movie, we would be telling a different story right now. Because yeah. that's a neat, that's a neat visual trick. But the movie had the little bit in the beginning, which was not at all like what happens at the end. And then it has this weird drug-fueled surrealist moment of George headed into this painting and I'm like that's visually really cool but what <laughs> why <laughs> why are you doing this now
0: yeah I mean and, and maybe it's a real George his painting and they I, I don't know enough about it. like I don't Mrs. care.
1: Park. But that's yeah the thing. It, it, I don't care. It doesn't matter.
0: <laughs> and and again, like, but having him be like immortalized in that way, I'm like, don't give that guy this credit. Don't let him be, you know, have this moments of like, oh, I've, I've reached my culminating moment, the crux of my existence. And then the actual last shot of the film is we zoom in on the the, the original couple that built the house and she's the one wearing the ring. That's like the big reveal.
1: Which we already knew. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I already knew that. (laughs) Stop telling me things I already know.
0: (laughs) It's just, it's such a weird choice for your final shot. And I'm with you. Like for a movie that is populated with art history professors and art students, there's not enough discussion of art. In this movie, we get like two scenes where F. Murray Abraham's character gets to like wax poetic about Svederborg or Ennis or, or something. Well, and I mean, Swedenborg
1: and- is was a really interesting person just to talk about. Like, there's a yeah. lot of weird stuff you can talk about. And and if he's like an enthusiast, it would have been cool if we saw like one of his lectures. I was kind that of exactly waiting exactly the- what I was going to say. Like, <laughs> I was waiting for the lecture scene trope. To show up and it never did. It
0: didn't. It's just, it's George lecturing and, you know, and those scenes are about him being admired by his students. Like, yeah, I I really thought that, you know, around the middle mark of this movie, you know, 45 minutes to an hour, we would cut in and, you know, Amanda Seyfried, maybe, you know, I understand like the whole thing is like she doesn't generally. Well, here's the thing. Okay. She has her own car. Okay. So she's not isolated at the house, right? She's not trapped there. I mean, she is, but she's not physically trapped there. She can leave when she wants to. And so she goes into town periodically. She goes to the, you know, the historical society. She goes to the library. She's grocery shopping, whatever. So I'm like, could we have not had a scene where she goes to the college one day? And, you know, she's already met a lot of these people at the various functions that they've had at their house. Why wouldn't she go and sit in on a lecture? Right on Sveterborg. and then she and F. Murray Abraham, Abraham's character are obviously sort of simpatico on their worldview with this stuff. Like they feel similarly about it. So there would have been opportunity there to have a conversation about, like, oh, here are the the spiritual implications of this, and you know, hey, yes, there's there's great or goodness maybe in the spirits. Like in your she home. goes
1: to a basket weaving workshop that her <laughs> friend runs. Right. So that- didn't even do that.
0: Yeah, there's, there's <laughs> like just, that
1: sounds like the kind of kooky thing that a lady would have done in upstate New York in the 1980s, and we don't see it.
0: It's it's very weird. Just super obvious things that you could use to to help flesh that out. Because at this point, it, all of that stuff about Sveterborg and Ennis and and the you know the goodness of heaven and hell, it's all just name droppy stuff. Yeah. Right. It it feels like well, we're we're gonna put this in here, so we this feels literary and legitimate.
1: It looks Not like we did our we're
0: going to What's that?
1: It looks like we did our research.
0: Exactly. Yeah, we're art people. So we're going to put our art stuff in there. And, you know, as somebody who, who also taught art, like I understand that, like art discussions are fascinating. And in film, it's one of the best things you can do because art has that visual component. And then you can marry that up with dialogue that then advances your story or reveals aspects of your character but you still have the visual to anchor it off of. Right. So it's not just pure theory. It's not just pure ideas. You have something physical that you can reference. And, and it just, this movie just doesn't do that with anything. Right. It, it it introduces all of these interesting, I mean, both of these characters are artists or at least, you know, they're supposed to be obviously George, eventually it's revealed. He's not actually an artist. He was just pretending, but safer it is and and George obviously knows a lot about art now and because he's gone She
1: doesn't gardens. even talk about art.
0: No, she does a couple of drawings, but at no point does she do or say anything about the nature of arts and and what that means to her and if she's been cut off from that world how that references it. And it, it's it's just it's very half-baked. And I guess that's really what this movie is. It's just kind of half-baked. And it's still 2 hours long. And I was to be as long as it is and really be as sparse as it is in terms of plot like there's not a lot happening here um yeah. again there's some very pointed reveals there's a lot of you know subtle and and oftentimes not so subtle character work but to not accomplish some of the things that they set up in the film in that 2 hour span is kind of shocking it it just feels it's surprising to me that some of these pieces are just absent and and that they rush to this Amityville horror ending that it just doesn't work. you know it i I really think this movie would have benefited, and maybe the source material did this too i I certainly would believe that it did. I think this movie would have worked much better as a much smaller examination of a relationship in and trium- in, in trauma in crisis. That eventually builds to this like big explosive moment instead of just this this Machiavellian guy who has been lying to every person in his life for the last 10 years, you know, ruining everything. And that's what it comes down to. And I, I appreciate the sense of betrayal that the movie is able to generate, like when she finally understands who he is and what he's done. I, that was a very palpable moment because it takes place at like if they've had their families over for dinner and that's when they they're talking about the paintings and she in, you know, it's revealed, Oh, he didn't even paint these paintings that I love that he claims that he did. They were his cousin from the, the get go. Like that's the big breaking point for her. And that moment was good. Like where she knocks the champagne over into the soup soup bowl. So she can't eat it. Like that was fine. But most of the other moments in this movie, like they just don't, work towards anything and that's a, like i said at the beginning everything just feels disjointed it's a bunch of ideas that don't really ever congeal into anything cohesive or satisfying it's just not satisfying it's not a fun movie to watch um not that it, you know it has to be fun but it's it's not an enjoyable experience to plow through this thing um and sometimes harsh movies you know i, I think like noah baumbach movie like i mentioned marriage story earlier that's a hard movie to watch but it's 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 a good watch, right? Like it's good. Uh, like, yeah, it's good drama. Yeah, like Squid and the Whale, another Bombach film. Like it's it's good, and you engage with it, and you feel good about that engagement. This movie does not get there at all.
1: No, not at all. Not even close. <laughs> no,
0: and and again, I cannot overstate how just completely. Unrelentingly bad and wrongheaded. The ending of this movie is like all of the whispery stuff. Even at the end, is like the it because you know he sails into the the cloudy storm with the upside down cross and the the clouds, and then it pulls out and it's like supposed to be a painting hanging in a gallery. Which I'm like okay, <laughs> but there's still like whispery stuff happening over the top of it where the ghosts are like, you know, oh yeah, the the evil must always do. You know, and it's. Just, I was like, "What stop is
1: stop it, movie? What is happening? What
0: are
2: you doing? <laughs> I, no, no one would do this."
0: You know, the music goes very like exorcisty, and that section. I I don't know. It just
1: it was weird. It's
0: just it's weird. And, and I like weird I'm down with weird 99% of the time, but this is weird. That is, is unmotivated. It's, it's like they're trying to scare you or like they're trying to do things that they've been told, Oh, these are scary things. These are, you know, this, this music is scary. And if you kind of have some whispering going in the background, that's pretty scary. And, and maybe it's, it's, The film being recut late in the process to become something else, right? Because again, this is unlike most of what these two directors have done pretty substantially. And I wonder if because all of these weird things like the, the sort of strange special effects, the whispery voiceovers, all of that stuff that can be done well after the fact, like well after the fact. And it feels like maybe somebody up either on the Netflix side, which would make sense, or, or just to sell this thing. They were like, we got to amp this up, man. Like we got to have some weird stuff here at the end. You just got to do it because this is just a relationship drama and relationship dramas are not necessarily going to get to the top 10 on Netflix. Right. But you put a ghost in me, I'd be able to do it. But the big thing for me, um, So, well, I I guess just in general, I think we're about ready, really, to move into the the end game with this one. Uh, Did you have anything else about the film that you wanted to highlight? I I think we've covered a lot of it, but, you know, certainly there there are some pieces that uh, you might want to highlight.
1: Mostly we've we've about covered it. I have, you know, some thoughts on on certainly what would make this better. But but yeah, I think I think as far as the plot, you know, at a certain point, what else can you say?
0: Yeah. It's just not great. Um, I think this is one of those instances where I I think I would actually rather read the book, um, which I mean, you know, that's most adaptations, right? But in this case, and I, I, in our next section, I'm going to talk a little bit about the structure of the book and why I think it's, it's a better idea than how this was done. Uh, but let's go and move into our, our recommendations and our, our one thing. Um, so my one thing is actually related to the adaptation itself. So I I did, I've not read this book uh, by Brundage. I do vaguely remember when it came out because it did cause a bit of a stir. You know, it was one of those, it was like 2017, I think. And so, I mean, we're talking like, this is like Jillian Flynn is exploding and uh, you know, the girl on the train and you know, like all of this, this sort of like, you know, a, a woman who is, is thrust into a circumstance and this was like that, but with supernatural elements layered on top. Right. Yeah. And so the book of this is more a police procedural, right? So the book actually ends with, or begins with Catherine's murder, right? She is dead. The husband has been brought in for questioning or has been you know pulled in for questioning because he's an obvious suspect. And most of the film is then told in flashback, both as a combination of like interviews with people relating to the investigation. And then of course, you know, other characters sharing thoughts. That's the supposedly based on what I've read. That's the, the sort of basic structure of the book. And the moment I read that, I was like, Oh, that would work so much better because I will say the, the, once Catherine is, is dead and we've basically been brought up to speed with the first scene of the film when the husband is you know carrying the daughter across the, the field, we get a little spark of life. Once the sheriff comes in and starts busting down doors and trying to ask questions, right? Like all of a sudden it was like, oh, okay, now we've got some motivation, right? We've got a character trying to, to actually do something in this film, i.e. solve a mystery. And and once I read that the book was kind of built around that process, I was like, that's exactly what this film needed to be, right? Like, instead of having the moment of tension be like, what's the blood dripping on the car that we saw at the opening? Just go ahead and let us know that Catherine's dead. Like, just show it. Because yeah. basically 20 minutes into the movie when you see how this is all going down, like, you know whose blood it is anyway right? Like it's not a reveal that it's Catherine who's dead by the end of this film. Just have it, you know, lead with her being dead like the book did and then have everything sort of come out in the investigation, right? We find out about, you know, George's affair, the dissertation stuff like, but it's all done through that lens of, of, you know, the police trying to solve this murder. It's a much more sort of compelling way to structure this narrative. And I think ultimately that's my one thing you can tell that they really wanted to focus on Catherine's experience and let the film be driven by that, which is not a bad choice, but they don't even fully go into that because we have all these other perspectives that we follow. And so if, if you're not going to just revamp this and have it be just Catherine's story from her perspective for the entire time through, I think I would have much rather seen this film as a let's solve the mystery of how this woman died. Um and and just we know it's her husband, but how do we prove it? Like that's that to me is really more more potentially satisfying.
1: And um, it and it would have maybe introduced, you know, something a little more horror-oriented, because it would be about you know, sort of piecing together the puzzle with her while she's still alive. I don't know. That could have been really cool.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, the flashbacks Damn it, movie, <laughs> the flashbacks. I'm sure the brothers would have provided a lot of context about their conversations, about how she was feeling. Justine could have talked about um, the uh, relationship with George from her perspective. And then of course, F. Murray Abraham's character, um, you know, or, or the, you know, other people in the art department could have provided context on you know the, the sort of ghost side of things. Maybe, I don't know, but it, it just, it seems like it might've been a better way to structure a story like this, um, rather than try and create tension where you can't really create tension. You know, it's, it, it doesn't really do anything. Like the film is not tense because we don't know how, you know, we don't know who dies. Like we, it's obvious who dies, but yeah. it it doesn't really land right. So that would have been my one thing: is just change up the structure of the film. The, you'll keep the scenes themselves. I think there are certainly some scenes that could be added to try and flesh out certain key points. But keep the scenes, but reframe them and recontextualize them through this. You know, we've got to solve the murder of this woman, kind of thing. But that's that's my one thing. So what what did you have
1: for me? I I would really like to remove the ghosts. I feel like this could have been such a cool movie if it maybe didn't have any supernatural stuff in it. And I feel like you could almost just edit those scenes out (laughs) and you would still have a a movie that, that might even be a little bit easier to get through. Um, I would have loved to have seen something focused on this discovery of her husband being a monster and having this dark past, and, you know, the supernatural stuff just felt so weird and tacked on. I almost wish it wasn't there at all. Like, I, I strongly wish it wasn't there. Um, and I would have leaned hard into... The relationship aspect of it, because I feel like that was a more compelling scare, um or at least it was for me. yeah, um, those
0: are the truly frightening moments in the film. Nothing with the ghost solicits much. I mean, really, the only thing we do with the ghosts are some exploding night lights, yeah, some moving rocking chairs.
1: It's not really doing it for me, I'm sorry some
0: very, very bad ghost effects that are supposed yeah. to be like black and white picturey it's like, okay. Right. Um yeah, it's just it's I, I think somewhere embedded in there is this idea of the the sort of visual language of Sveterborg and uh, Innes. Like they're they're trying to hint at those things to sort of show this world in this very sort of pastoral early American landscape kind of way. But I
1: also don't think the movie's doing a very good job of
0: that. Exactly. It's somewhere in there they tried, but it is not it is not. It is not effective in the Let way. Let me that get
1: my do. gold star. You tried sticker.
0: That's right. And put you it did. on
1: this movie. You tried. An attempt was made, but I just do. Oh, I don't know. I don't. I don't have any good feelings about the supernatural element, and I feel like I. I feel like it just. It would have been. Maybe not true to the source material, because I know the source material has the supernatural stuff in it. It does. But it turned out that the relationship horror was the more interesting part well, the, for me. The
0: least. relationship horror is, is what ends Catherine's life, right? Yeah. The ghost stuff doesn't have anything to do with that that we're made as explicitly aware of, right? It's certainly hinted that the husband is being manipulated by a ghost, which, again, I find incredibly problematic because now he gets... He wasn't an asshole. He was just being manipulated by this ghost, and and
2: I I don't.
1: And in the end, where where he doesn't, we don't have any justice for him. You know, it reminded me of the Lovely Bones. Okay, yeah. You know, and and specifically more because the Lovely Bones was a good movie based on a good book, based on a great book. Yeah. Um. But the thing is, nobody liked the ending of that movie. No. Everyone hated it because we wanted to see Stanley Tucci get it <laughs> hurt. We wanted to see bad things happen to him because he did bad things. Sure. But the movie goes out of its way just as the book does to stress that that is just not what it was about and it was just not possible um given the you know the setup of everything. But I I thought of the audience's reaction to that experience and just how off-put they were by the whole thing just i do not like this um and i kind of feel like did they just not see the movie or did they not read those reviews cuz they went ahead and did it again <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's like don't don't do that people people don't want to see that they don't like that especially when that's not the overall like thematic uh centerpiece for the film like it was in the lovely bones where like that was the whole point in this movie like that wasn't the point but they did it anyway yeah um so yeah i i especially hated that it's
0: it just feels like a lot of missed opportunities and if it is a very close adaptation of the book then so be it right but something tells me that they they made some choices in order to do some specific things that they thought were key And it's fine to make a movie that doesn't have an ending that satisfies your audience. There are lots and lots of movies that do, and there are movies that can do that hyper effectively. This one does not appear to get to that point. Um, At least not, not in any way that I found satisfying. So I I agree. I think that too would be a, a really key change. I think the relationship drama is the engine that is driving this movie, not the ghost stuff. And it's fine if the ghost stuff needs to be there because that's your market, and that's what the book you know was trying to do, but at its core, you need to care about at least one of these people, and this movie doesn't do a very good job of of making you root for her um and that's its its greatest flaws like i I didn't care or I didn't care let's say I didn't care enough about these characters by the time things, the bad stuff really started happening. And that, that is a huge detriment. All right. Um, So uh, I guess that's our one thing that we might change in order to potentially sort of push this into another realm out of its 39% on Rotten Tomatoes, perhaps into something a bit more palatable. Mm -hmm. It certainly does end in an unsatisfying way, which can be problematic for, for any movie, but some have pulled it off. This one doesn't get there. Uh, so what is your failure piece score? And do you recommend this film?
1: I'm gonna go only slightly higher and based on one one thing. Um I really liked for what it's worth. I really liked the actress, I can't remember her name, who played Justine. Mm-hmm. And I also feel like had the character been given some different direction, I really liked the guy who played George, and I feel like under different circumstances, that could have been a really good performance. If it had not been so ham fisted <laughs> uh, in parts, yeah. I- so I'm I'm boosting a little bit based on those two performances, and you know, like F. Murray Abraham was great because like he's just going to be great. Um, so I would put it at a 40, which is still not high, but um, but yeah, that's what I can give this. This doesn't pass. It's just not...
0: Yeah, it's... It's
1: just not good.
0: Yeah, it's it's not a good... It's not a good film. Um, I, I kind of agree. I, I think part of the issue with George is he should have either been really nice and completely... You know, we had no idea that he was this monster, and then just turns right at the end or he remained this subtle villain that, you know, something's off, but you don't know what until it's too late. Uh, And this film just kind of doesn't really do either of those things very well and ends up just kind of slamming them together where like George seems like a bit of a bit of a jerk, but he's fine. And then all of a sudden he is not fine. And maybe this movie just needed to do more to, to earn that me but i agree he's he's a fine actor he did a good job he played uh Lori in the the greta gerwig little women that came out two years ago i guess um and he was good in that enjoyed that so i mean he's certainly capable and i think he does a good job with the character but it's it's just not handled with enough subtlety to uh
2: to well
1: really, you know we talked satisfying. about we talked about the scene where he he grabs justine's wrist mm-hmm. that was good um that was great and that scene kind of stuck with me after the movie. It was about the only thing that stuck with me about the movie. Mm-hmm. Um because I kept thinking wouldn't it have been awesome if that kind of giggly, "hee hee, I'm not a monster" if that had been his particular brand of monsterism in the film. Um but when it seemed like that's where the movie was going, it took that just hard left into into cackling axe wielding evil man. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and, and again, maybe that's the way the book goes too. I, I don't know, but uh, in, in this particular case it it's not an effective move for the character. And it, it doesn't do anything to increase tension or fear. It just it's just caused bewilderment. Like, wait, what? Seriously, <laughs> he's going to just going to go murder that guy. Um, you know, that it, 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 seemed a bit of a stretch. And, and if perhaps the book built that up more that, you know, he had been casually murdering people for years to get into his position. I don't know, but this is a movie that I think, again, it's, it's a, a, a fairly good example of a, a woman who is, is being gaslit by an abusive husband and, realizes it and tries to get out but the fact that she is unsuccessful i think is going to be really unsatisfying to a lot of people and and the the just sort of general mishandling of the the back half and back third for sure but really even just the back half of this film is is a huge problem like it's just not very engaging uh to watch and it's It's a small drama, so it's not going to be super propulsive anyway, or it could be, but generally it's, it's going to be a little bit more slow moving and and methodical, which is fine. But this movie just never really feels like the engine kicks into gear. Like it's just, it's, it's kind of an idol for the whole movie. Uh, There's, there's no real spikes. There's no real big moments. I mean, I guess you could argue a couple of the ghost moments might give you a little bit of a jolt, but most of that it's it's telegraphed so far in advance that it's like, well, I'm not going to be scared when the, the clown nightlight explodes. You've been sitting in flash and having weird noises around it for the last five minutes. So of course something's going to happen. Um, so there's just lots of stuff like that in this. Again, it's, it's a shrug your shoulders, Netflix film, right? Like it's on Netflix. If you want to watch it, go for it. Nobody's stopping you. <laughs> but beyond that, I I'm kind of in the same boat. I, I can't recommend this film. Um, there are a couple of people that I would like – that I know that I would like to have watch it so I could sort of just get their opinion on it, get their read. But I, I wouldn't I, – I don't think I would ever suggest anybody, like, go check this out. I think you'd really enjoy it. Like, it's just it's not think, that kind of movie. And maybe you're not meant to I enjoy it would. necessarily, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know.
1: Life is pain. Um,
2: yeah, be miserable.
1: Uh, I would recommend this movie to – persons who can't sleep and they okay. want to go to sleep so you bad go
0: to bed let me tell you are about you, Sveterborg.
1: are you just so tired <laughs> because i'm so tired <laughs> i'm tired of this movie tired of these people dr manhattan just destroy it all yeah um yeah so that's that's about all i could do with recommending this movie is is if you just need some a sedative for the night this would do it. It's not very good.
0: Yeah, and there's there aren't gonna be any like weird noises that are gonna wake you up if you fall asleep on the couch yeah. with your headphones in or something, like you'll just kind of just cruise on through. Um, just enjoy the night. Because that's this enjoy movie. The it's uh it's a, a babbling brook of a film. Just mm-hmm. kinda kinda there. It's kinda doing its thing. It's not too intense, it's not moving very fast. It's just kinda kinda just Babbling its way down it's just
2: the there. road,
0: um and that's that's sad, right? Because like you, I'm I'm very interested in this kind of this is I don't, I don't want to call it new horror. It's certainly not that, but it certainly is a new sort of subgenre of horror that has, to, has grown exponentially in the last five years. Of yeah. you know very small pictures. You know, I'm thinking of like The Lodge. I don't know if you saw that one or not. Another, you know, kind of bottle picture. It's a woman and two kids. Like that's uh she, she's her boyfriend. It's it's her his kids, and he they get sort of trapped together in this lodge, and things kind of go weird. And is it real? Is it not real? You know that kind of stuff. Like, but that was really good, highly effective, pretty solid payoff at the end. You know, it was it's good. This is not that.
1: Not, <laughs> not at all. <laughs>
0: So uh, I guess that's that wraps up our discussion of things heard and seen. It's kind of a meh. Um, I mean, if I, you want to hear things
1: and see percentage. things percentage,
0: um, but- I'm pretty close to you. I might go slightly higher, like a 45 percent because there are some really solid performances here. Um, and some from from some actors you don't see very often. Right. Karen Allen. Yeah. Hey, it's, great yeah, to it's see always Karen nice Allen, to see her. Right? She's doing a good job. Uh, and uh, again, James Urbaniak—he doesn't do a ton of on-screen as- acting these days, so it's always nice to see him. Um, and there are certainly some things about Amanda Seyfried's performance here that I think you could dig your teeth into. She's she's trying to do some stuff, but the the character is just so broadly painted that it's really difficult to to feel anything towards her. Um, and, and that in a film where, where we really should be inside her experience, right? We should be digging into the world that she's found herself trapped in. It just kind of doesn't like we, we never get that kind of access and that may be its greatest failing, but all right. So where can you be found on the internet? If uh, people want to yell at you about the, how they feel that things heard and seen is actually one of the greatest horror films ever made.
1: I can be heard and seen on Twitter at Baskinator.
0: Very nice. Of course, I can be found at T Baskin on Twitter. And uh, you can yell at me there about uh, things that I've heard and seen or chosen not to see ever again, uh, if you wish. And uh, of course, if you want to get us together at, uh, on Twitter, you can get us at F Peace Theater. And then, of course, if you want to drop us an email to yell at us in long form without character limitations then you can certainly email failure at gmail.com. And we would love to hear from you. Uh, So thanks again, dear listeners for uh, checking out this uh, little breakdown of another corner of the the Netflix content ocean. Uh, I'm sure we'll be back with more. There've been quite a few interesting releases in the last few weeks. So we may dip our toes in once again for a, a, a more recent streaming recommendation instead of looking back history of Hollywood's failures. We might try to stay current, get some stuff in there too. Uh, But thanks for listening. And uh, of course, we will see you next
2: time. Bye, bye.